sometimes we meet people that just seem to be able to do it all. Today's guest is a farm owner and manager, a writer, an instructor, a competitor, a clinician, and a seminar presenter. Let's learn how she does seem to do it all and what advice she has for us. Let's grow. Drivers, don't forget, if you are not already registered for and participating in Next Gen Equine Vet Med 2024, they are coming quickly. So head on over to my website at www.jodyspeakslife.com to check out the tab for Next Gen Equine Vet Med, and I'll see you in Texas, Kentucky, or West Virginia. Welcome to The Thriving Equine Professional, the podcast to grow you. Are you wondering how to make connections to build your career in the equine industry? Not sure where to look for the support you'll need to land a dream job? Maybe you're feeling frustrated or stuck where you are. Hey, I'm Jody. I was that girl with no clue how to navigate landing a great career in animal health, but I knew this is where I wanted to be. I look back and cannot believe the roles I've landed and the people I call friends. Inside this podcast, you will meet key connections, build your career confidence, and find the advice you may not know you need. So if you're ready to grow your career and thrive in a job that you are passionate about, you're in the right place. Get the ponies fed and fill those water buckets. It's time to grow, girl. Welcome back, Thrivers. Here we are for another episode with a truly thriving equine professional. You are going to be so excited to hear the journey and the story of today's guest. So with no further ado, I want to introduce yet another person, Thrivers, that I stalked on social media. And you know that I love to tell the story of how I am connected with people, but this person showed up in LinkedIn, again, my favorite platform to encourage you to continue growing your network and your connections, and I was simply intrigued by her experiences and her involvement with the United States Pony Club and so many steps of her journey. And so as you well know me by now, I reached out and said, can we have a call? I would love to learn more about you. And so Asia Thayer, you are with us today from Gig Harbor, Washington. So the opposite side of the country than I am sitting now, but I am so excited to have you here. And we had such a great intro conversation a couple of weeks ago, and I was just, no pun intended, but pun intended, chomping at the bit to get you on the podcast. So Asia, welcome to The Thriving Equine Professional. Thank you. I'm I'm super excited to be here and and hopefully I can bring along some entertainment and some good advice. Well, that's always our goal to educate, engage and entertain because you know, it is nothing without entertainment, right? Right. <laughs> so, you have been a horse crazy woman since the age of 8 as I have learned, but really most intriguing to me is Asia that you decided really that you didn't necessarily want to pursue a career in the equine industry because you were really focused on protecting your passion. And I, I loved that. And yet here you are, I think almost 30 years later with a long career in the equine industry, you are a farm owner and manager. You're a rider, you're an instructor, you're a competitor You are also, intriguing to me, a certified professional salesperson, like officially. You're a clinician, a seminar presenter, a a national examiner, and on the board of governors with the United States Pony Clubs. I, I might have to title this episode, Doing It All with purpose and intention or something, but let's, let's break some of these things down because these are some amazing roles that you carry in your life. And I know that you are influencing so many young people. And that's why I was just so drawn to what you do. So take us through the early years, Asia, of you didn't really want a career in the equine industry. And so I think that your degree is 
biology and a certificate of public health in genetics. So let's let's start at the beginning. Oh boy, <laughs> I know there's a, there's a lot to impact. So <laughs> steer me as you will, but I'll I'll try to impact it. When I was preparing for this, I was kind of writing notes and. And I just found like it was like this bubble diagram and my life just shot off in this direction and this direction. And I thought, oh boy, how am I going to unpack all this? But here we are. So yeah, I, I grew up on a, a small island and a very small town and I did not come from a family with horses. My mom said, we've got horse camp and dance camp. Who's going where? I went to horse camp and the instructor happened to be a, a gal from Pony Club. And um, so I think that was kind of my, my route to Pony Club. And I think after about five days, she told my mom, well, Asia doesn't like riding horses, but she likes to brush their tail. So my mom thought, well, we'll see where this goes. But um, I was pretty afraid of horses, <laughs> but I love to brush them. And I, I think I bring that up because I think it it was my first time that I really found that horses bring me an inner peace. So it wasn't necessarily the the passion for writing or the competition. It, it was this inner peace. And that's certainly a thread from yeah, probably age eight, nine, or 10 that carried through my life. From that, I really just kind of started getting involved in things. I, I grew up with a single mom on a school teacher salary. So I didn't really have much opportunity or horses. And that kind of involved or evolved this this knowledge or concept that people are so important to opportunity. And I just found more and more times that people kind of came behind me and, and, and held me up and, and pushed me right along. So a guy named Ian Smith, who is an English military man, um, he said, you should join Pony Club. And, um, and he's the one that kind of got me involved. He had other kind of British military background people that would teach and they made me cry all the time as a kid. <laughs> but again, it, it formed my life to this kind of structured path of, um, you know, yeah, just kind of a, a structured path. And I don't come from a, a military background, but people often ask me like, you know, the way you present yourself and 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 how you move things along, it really kind of stems from that, but it goes way back to my youth, but um, not without tears involved. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. I love that you recognized that it was the horse that brings you inner peace. And then you went through, you know, like your early training resulted in some tears, but a lot of lessons. I, I think that sums up life in general, right? It really is a, a really great example of kind of how we evolve. And so I think that your experiences coming up are resonating with so many of our listeners. And I, for one, we talked about this. I didn't have the opportunity to join Pony Club as I was growing up, but we also both do have some eventing. We love to, you know, we, we fell in love with running fast and jumping high, as I often will say it. So you continued to pursue the Pony Club path. And so kind of tell us then where you went from there. Yeah. So I joined Pony Club. I had a pony. I think, again, people kind of coddled me along with this. I had this dream of, I actually really kind of focused in dressage initially, because although my passion is eventing now, I really did start as a more fearful um, rider. And so dressage was kind of my route. When I was 14, I started working at a warm blood breeding facility that focused in dressage. Um, now I was just picking rocks. <laughs> but <laughs> we all start somewhere. That's right. We all start somewhere. Yep. So that in, and, and those people kind of facilitated my, my passion for dressage and my, in pony club, my real goal was wanting to go to pony club championships. It's this incredible educational and kind of pinnacle opportunity, but I, I had this backyard downhill quarter horse thoroughbred not much of a moving animal at all. And, and so I think people kind of thought, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? And you want to do pony club championships. And again, I, I just had this, this determination, like I, I can make do with what I have and, and I'm going to make it happen. And um, so this 
owners of this um, warm blood breeding farm, I'll call her Martha, really kind of believed in me. And she said, you know, I've got all these fancy warm bloods, but you know what, this downhill quarter horse, we're going to make it happen. So qualified for championships in the team. And again, didn't have much. We had to go to Ogden, Utah. And these Pony Club is this family and this team of people and parents kind of rallied behind me and, uh, and said, you know, let's, let's go. We're going to make this happen together. And so that was kind of my first big goal in Pony Club and, and, and where I went off. Funny story a little bit with that. We, you know, went to championships and we did very, very well, but you know, we had all these teams from across the country and our team was made up with, again, my downhill quarter horse, a funky little Arab, a horse that came, his name was Cougar. He used to be a mountain horse. So don't even know what he is. Um, and a very colorful Appaloosa. So it's not traditional for dressage teams. And it, yeah, I think we all got there and saw all the other horses and people. And we thought we really kind of melted a little bit like, oh boy, we do not stand up to this. And we really had to rally around each other and, and build ourselves up, but we did well. And one of the judges, Trip Harding, wrote an article in, in Chronicle of the Horse about us. And his his quote underneath my picture was, I've never seen such backyard horses do so well. Oh, that's fabulous. I'm going to have to dig that up because as soon as you were describing the four horses, I'm like, oh my gosh, that would be an epic picture to have today, right? Yes, yes. Yes, I have to dig that up too. But it, it, I think that's, again, another little pivotal moment that could have been taken as a hurdle or, or you know, kind of a something difficult. But, you know, we, we really kind of strove through things and through those not having the perfect horse, not having every, you know, everything that could get us to the top and just, just hard work. We just worked hard for it. Yes. Yeah, really what I call grit, you know, passion and perseverance. And there's such a lesson there in teamwork. And also in today's world, a term that you and I really weren't familiar with, but a little bit of that imposter syndrome. As you left your comfort zone and we show up in a new place and we look around and we and we feel our imperfections. And while others aren't necessarily seeing our imperfections, we internalize that. And so, you know, what a tremendous lesson, but also through these stories that you have already told us your first, like our number one connection from the moment we started talking has been connections, communication and connections. And I just, you know, I, I remember you saying that everything is connections and I'm like, Oh, music to my ears. But what I'm hearing from you, Asia, also is that you were a little bit fearful. And I know that you kind of label yourself as being somewhat introverted. So I'd love for you to talk to us about, because you know that many of us gravitate into this profession because of a love of horses, but then we have this, oh, are you an introvert or an extrovert? And you've been very successful and you teach and you share and all of those things, but you have grown connections on purpose. And you also say, I've done that despite being an introvert, maybe, and maybe despite isn't the right word, but talk to us a little bit about that and why it's so important. Yeah, I, I think certainly I'll, I'll kind of attest to the, the connections part. I, people tend to be a bit shocked to learn that um, the last time I had my own horse, I was 14. And then I didn't own my own horse again until I was in my late 20s. And, and people think, how did you get where you were? And it really was people. And although I was, yeah, very introverted, I didn't, wasn't comfortable kind of putting myself out there and, and saying, hey, I need a horse. And you know, of course, we didn't have Facebook or anything like that back then. But what I, and again, I think it was Pony Club put me out there. But what I did do is I was willing to work. I was willing to help to work if there was somebody there was a barn that I, I got connected with and I just said, I'll, I'll do anything. I'll clean stalls. I'll, I'll do whatever it takes. And then all of a sudden, here's a horse that was imported from Germany. And he's, you know, I thought I'll never have a horse like that. And the woman gave me truck and trailer and said, hey, go to horse shows. And that purely was coming in, just not selling myself because I was not very capable of that. I was too introverted, but, but I could put myself somewhere and I could work hard and people could see that. 
And I built that relationship. From that came, you know, another relationship where somebody said, we have this horse, do you want to ride this horse? And I worked hard and I communicated with them and, and was grateful. I think that was a big piece of me um, maintaining relationships and connections was just being very grateful for, for every little piece of opportunity somebody gave me. But I slowly, you know, as I, as I grew older, realized that I was introverted, but I could certainly be that extrovert and doing presentations and talks like this or teaching. And, and I, I think that's where that kind of evolved of that ability to be extroverted. I think I have learned over time though, that I have to honor that, that introverted side of me at times and, um, and know that after, you know, a weekend of conferences or workshops or presentations, I have to allow myself that downtime to be around the horses, be around the dog, have that alone time to recharge, regroup, and then I'm, I'm good to go again. So I think it's important for, for people to know the introvertedness isn't an all the time thing, but just to be aware of yourself and what you need to, to recharge as that kind of personality type. So wise. I mean, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding there. And I have such a passion and I know that, you know, you have spent a lot of time learning, right? Leadership skills and learning about others. And I teach a sales class now and, and talk a lot about that introversion versus extroversion. And people have this idea that you have to be an extrovert. You do not. And so I just, I wanted people to hear that part of your story because it, I hope motivates and inspires young people, especially who are not considered natural extroverts or they get labeled being an introvert. And that then almost is detrimental to a confidence level, right? That we don't need that kind of label because really what we are doing is skill building and what you're bringing, what talents and skills and abilities you are bringing to the world around you is has nothing to do with whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. It is about your abilities and your ability to connect with the right people being in the right places at the right times and sharing that. So, And I think you find, find what brings that extra, extroversion a little bit out of you. And I, I think that's what I've been able to gravitate towards is situations or topics or conversations or people that really allow me to flourish and, and bring that side of me out. And, and it's exciting when I do and I go, oh, that's this is where I should be. I think um quick example, when I when I got into um, a master's degree program, I uh, I got into you know biology department. But I got into one area and I, I got into, I was going to classes and, and, and whatnot. And I found every time I walked into a room, I was just almost, I was so introverted. And I thought, how in the world am I going to be successful here if I can't engage and get involved and these people are having wonderful conversations and I just am not engaging with it. And, and it caused so much anxiety and I, I kind of went again within kind of the, the biology department, but went into another department. And, and this is why the, the public health genetics, but I got into a class within kind of that area of the department and people started talking and having conversations and it just light bulbs started going off and I was able to engage. And it was like, oh, there's the person within me that is capable of coming out and, and having these conversations. So it just made me realize this, I have to find that area that can bring out that person because it, it would have been easy to stay in that first department and go, well, I guess this is just who I am. I'm just an introvert. I guess I'm just not connecting well and, and kind of do the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not conversation in my own head. But, but I realized I have to keep searching and, and keep finding paths that, that bring out that, um, that ability to engage and, and be who I am. And, and, and I did, and then you, then I flourish and, and it's good. What a great example of I am versus I am not right. Like really starting to recognize that. I think that's so important in today's world, because again, I also speak to a lot of groups and talk about the devastating effects of comparisonitis Right. So we are in a world that wants us to be more and do more and we should be like others. And and I just feel like we are withering away 
by comparing ourselves to what we think others think we should be or do. And that's ridiculous. What a great example of like, you didn't feel a lot of energy in that original room. So quite frankly, you give it a little time and then change rooms and see, see if it really is just you need to be in a different space with different people to light that fire that's in us. There, there is fire, there's energy and passion and, and we have to find it. Yeah, I, I do think that's, that's just such, a, such an important point. Keep searching, no matter if you're an introvert or, or what you are or anxiety or all these things that can, that can plague us as, as young people. Yeah, just keep searching, keep finding paths and, and that, that part of you that makes you really proud it's just going to naturally come out when you find yourself in that that right environment. Yeah. Yes, perfect. So it kind of leads us into what I think is another really important point that you make. I would love for you to explain to us, Asia, the term solution problem solving. I, I love this about your approach. And so talk to us a little bit about solution problem solving and why that's important for people to have kind of that mindset. Yeah, I, I think it probably comes from a lot of not solution problem solving when I was younger, to be honest. You know, I'd, I'd be faced with an issue or problem and it just seemed like a brick wall. And I just thought, I don't see a way around it. I don't see how to get past it. And then I think, well, I guess it's just not where I should be. And I I try to find a different direction. And that kind of resulted in in bouncing around a bit. Or I'd, I'd see a path. And I think, you know, I really want to go there and, and do that, but it seems impossible and, and give up. So solution problem solving. So faced with a problem, try to think of, try not to focus on that problem. Don't even think about it. What are some possible solutions? What are some things that I could do and take a step in that direction or in any direction really, and, and list out what are some, some solutions to this problem. So I guess, a funny example that I didn't even know this was solution problem solving is a farm example. I, when I was first had my farm, I, I've had my farm for going on 14 years now, but I had a riding lawnmower and the deck, somebody had taken the mowing deck off the riding lawnmower and it was springtime and I needed to mow. And I had no idea how to put a deck on a riding lawnmower. And I tried and I tried, I went to YouTube I, I got it hooked up. I couldn't figure it out. And uh, my, my poor dear friend came to my farm and saw me sitting on the garage floor, tools around, and just in tears, giving up. And I just said, I can't get past this. I've got so much lawn to mow. And, and all I could do is sit there and be stuck focusing on the problem. And, and it really just, it, I felt like my feet were in concrete. I was, I was done. And and, um, and I thought I have to do something like, okay, what's a solution? What's something? And, and she kind of said that to me, like, well, we'll stop, stop sitting here and focusing on what you can't do or what, you know, what's in your way. What can you do? And, and I thought, oh, what can I do? Well, I can come up with things I could do. And I, you know, look at, well, there's this thing hanging down here. Everything was called a, a thing then. Um, this thing was hanging down here and maybe it could hook here, but that didn't work. And maybe this could hook here. That didn't work. And just, you know, I got invigorated and energized trying to find any solution. And the more I did that, the more solutions didn't work, the more I came up with more. And I found that I stopped giving up. And long story short of the, the mowing deck, I, I did get it hooked up and I engaged the PTO, which I didn't really know what that was at the time, but the thing revved up and I, I went down to my, to my grass and I started to mow and I was so elated and proud of myself for coming up. And I, I turned around and I, I looked back and not a blade of grass had cut, nothing at all. So I turned it off and I sat in the grass. And again, I got that sinking feeling like I, I'm done. I, I can't, I don't know what to do. And, you know, started focusing on the problem again. And so again, my, I, my inner voice started coming up and saying, get something, do something, some solution. So I, I sat there and I started picking grass with my hands, <laughs> but it was something, it was, it was a solution to the problem. And, and that, that brought me to seeing one more chord that was laying there, not hooked up. 
And I saw that cord, I hooked it up and, and lo and behold, the big solution happened. Grass was mowed. So probably my best example of, of trying to focus on solutions, even in, and the more they don't work, the more you come up with more solutions and, and you get to it. You, you find your route and you find the, the solution to any problem, really. Yes, yeah, such great advice. And that sometimes you really do need to walk away and come back. And sometimes you need another person. Like we aren't meant to do life alone, right? We are not meant to solve all the world's problems on our own. We need other people. We need connections and community. So I I love that. And so when I have a problem with my lawnmower, I am calling you. <laughs> I'm all over it. I can at least send you a YouTube video that will be very helpful. Okay, good, good. I love that. So I I do want to kind of get into your pony club career. Let's, I mean, break this down for us, Asia. You have been with the organization for a, a long time, have served in multiple roles, and you are really quite a leader with the organization. And so I would like, so I don't get anything wrong, walk us through the United States Pony Club and what you have done and what you do now. Yeah, absolutely. I think if if somebody would have told me back in my teens that I was going to be in a lot of leadership roles, I probably would have said you're crazy because I'm I'm too introverted. But it it does it is a testament for an organization that builds leaders. And there's a lot of organizations out there that do that. But Pony Club is, first and foremost, it's an education organization, and it supports whatever avenue in life you'd like to take or whatever discipline you'd like to have. You know, in Pony Club, when I was growing up, we just did eventing, but now there's Western, there's hunt seat equitation, there's show jumping, there's a lot of different avenues that, that we can go. So as I started through Pony Club, when I got to the national level, I didn't... Again, like, like I said earlier, I didn't have a horse, but I really wanted these national certifications because I knew with national certifications came opportunity. And so again, this is back to connections and relationships and being in a community. Uh, when I needed a horse, people found me a horse to use. Sometimes I took two or three horses to a certification. But as I as I go went through certifications, you know, there's the C3B and the A, and, and then there's also horse management certifications. But with every achievement came more opportunity. And so what got me to the East Coast as a working student, it's what, you know, I could, I could say to someone, I am a B eventing pony clubber. And they knew that meant I had the position, I had the security, I could safely ride to this level of in a preliminary eventing was is the B level. So it means something more than just your skills. And in competition, we can, you know, we train our horses for competition and we compete and we are judged on our ability to train the horse or, or the horse's ability to perform. In Pony Club, we're evaluated on our position and our security and and things like that that keep us safe and, and make us capable to to do more. So, you know, I worked through Pony Club National Testings and then from that I just met someone a, a dear woman named Anita that said, "Hey, you should be a national examiner." Um and I and I remember asking like what what makes me able to examine people and and I think one of the biggest things I got out of her was I had a sense of compassion and relatability to people that were in stressful situations. So I kind of went into being an examiner with that concept of I can be compassionate and I can understand what you're going through, whether you're successful or not. So started being a national examiner and that evolved me into being asked to be on the national testing committee for a number of years. And then that involved me to, I did a lot of education um, workshops or seminars. We have a national convention. And I think the first time I did a, a, a seminar or workshop at our national convention was 90, mid nineties. And somebody said to there, you know, gosh, you were a good speaker. And, and uh, would you speak then about that topic was bandaging 
um, to this group and to this group. So again, just opportunities evolved. And then from that, I, I kind of worked my way up in national testing and became the chair of, of the national testing, you know, 60 to you know, 60 to 100 national examiners across the country. Um, so just kind of keeping, keeping that program going um, in a very positive direction. And then I did a lot with the instruction committee and developing instruction and curriculum. And then that just kind of evolved to the board of governors. And um, I was actually pretty intimidated to, to join the board of governors. We, um, our president um, is a woman I've known for a very long time and, and she's been, um, she doesn't know this, but she's certainly been a mentor of mine as far as leadership. And I thought this is this is someone I can I can work under their leadership. I can thrive and and evolve. And so again, putting myself in a position that made me very nervous, but um, knowing that I was surrounded by people that could kind of help me along and and make me thrive. So yeah, but on the board of governors, and then you know other committees come from that marketing and and communications committee. I never thought I'd do much with marketing, but have just loved, you know, writing articles or things like that for our magazine. So yeah, just opportunities evolved through the organization, really. Yeah, so inspiring. And I wrote down the the quote I love the most there, Asia, with every achievement that you earned came opportunity. So I, I think that really sums that up. And to your point, recognizing the, again, the people along the way that you chose to follow, that you chose to enter into a mentorship relationship with and those kinds of things. I oftentimes will say that one of the greatest challenges early on in our career is really understanding that if we find the people that are 10 plus years ahead of us often, that it does level us up in a way. It, you know, it demands more of us as a young professional and it it stretches us out of our comfort zone. And so I know you talk about just being in that growth mindset. And oftentimes that is, as you say, doing hard things and doing hard things makes life simpler. It doesn't necessarily make life easy because I don't think life is easy, nor should it be easy, right? But doing hard things makes life simpler and more rewarding ultimately. So I just, I think that's, you know, a really impressive evolution. Now, the other piece of advice that that you give is to be willing to put extra effort out as a youth, especially that we know that as you move further on and we become, you know, we're supposed to become wiser adults that yes, we'll, we'll have to um, consider our boundaries. That's a big, a big word in today's discussions, but talk about that because I love the way you break that down is really take advantage of your youth to put in the extra effort. You've clearly demonstrated that that's what enabled you to be as successful as you continue to be, but I love that you follow that up with, you will have to learn boundaries as you get older or burnout will seep in. So talk to us about that. Yeah, I, I certainly, you know, as a youth and I, I think it comes from just not, ha- not having much. And so I just did whatever I could to get involved and, and have opportunity. And um, when I worked for a barn, you know, I didn't ask for that extra pay or, or what does this make or how much can I make here before I commit to doing it? You just stepped in and did things. So I think that ability or, or desire and drive to work hard um, without the mindset of what is my competition or compensation and, and what does this give to me? I just knew, I don't know why, but new opportunities would come. And to me, that was more important than a, a financial gain. So I think through my my 20s, it, it just was all, you know, work and what can I do and, and do more. Um, I think my 30s was a bit the same, but I think I, I started to realize in my 30s that, you know, getting a bit burnout and, you know, somebody would say, I need this. And I just jump on it and say, okay, I will, I will make that happen. I used to take a, a lot of working students and I, it was really a product of, I can't say no. 
because I want to give that opportunity to people that don't have. And so <laughs> at one point I had six <laughs> teenagers um, living in my small house. <laughs> and, um, but really it was, I, you know, I need, you know, I want to take this national certification and I'd say, okay, if you want it and you're willing to work for it, I'll work for it and I'll support you. But it really, you know, at that time through my 30s, it, it ended up working from, you know, 6 a.m. till 10 at night. Um, but it was because I, I wanted to give and I wanted to do and I was willing to do anything um, to, to help everyone else succeed. But it certainly started to take its toll and, and just feeling a little burnt out and starting to feel like, you know, what's, what's in this for me? Like, what am I doing for myself in this? And I think I realized that that's what I started to lose in, in working hard and being willing to work hard, got me a ton of opportunities in my youth and twenties, but then um, in my thirties and going into my forties, it really started to make me realize um, I've lost some of my joy and some of what's in this for me. And so that was, I think I never thought like I have to set boundaries but that kind of forced me to, to say, okay, I, I can't do all of this for somebody else, but um, to find my joy, start to find my joy in what I do, but still have that mindset of I'm willing to give and, and do whatever it takes to help somebody that, that wants help and need. But I think, um, yeah, youth, work hard, give all you got. Don't start asking what's in this for me or how am I going to be compensated for this? Just give and work and opportunity will come your way. But then start to start to find that boundary when you find yourself at that point of, of not being fulfilled or not finding joy in, in what you're doing. Then then you got to start to set um, a few boundaries and and then then it then you find your equilibrium, find your balance, really. Yes. Oh, I love that. So much takeaway there because we have those conversations and I know that you have and and you talk about that, that we, I think you caution, you use the word, I, I caution becoming so dependent on horses for your financial stability that you run the risk of losing joy. And we see it all the time right? We, we have seen that. We have heard it from people. I don't want to make horses my business. I'm afraid because I just, I'm so passionate about them. And so really speaking from that experience and your ability to teach and coach others and, and move through that process is, is such rich advice for our listeners to recognize that and then to move forward and also to understand I'll say two other things, right? The joy was number one. And then what I heard you talking about as it relates to boundaries, I'm quick to say we have the opportunity to recognize whether boundaries need to be in sand or brick. And I think that that really allows us to take a step back again in today's world where we just, you need to set a boundary, set bound. Are you good at setting boundaries? Are you terrible at setting boundaries? We're just talking so much about boundaries. Let's actually really talk about why. Why do we need a boundary? Who's the boundary for? The boundary is for us. It's not for other people. The boundary is for us and our own ability to thrive, really. And so I think that is, you know, such great advice for us to hear as we move through the, the career journey and, and being able to make those choices along the way. The third thing that I really heard from you is the impact of service and that really defining for each of us being selfish versus being selfless. And if you are willing early on to just really focus on, this is not about me. This is about my impact on the world. And the more that I can learn to your point with every achievement for you came opportunity and so if you go into it with that mindset, that growth mindset of I am here to learn, but I'm here to serve others and, and just adopting a little bit of selflessness as a young person, because I think that that tends to be an emotional intelligence that we gain later in life from experience. And if we can start to have those conversations and learn about it, you know, wow, what what a ladder skipper, if you will, whether your ladder is vertical or horizontal or, you know, that I'm not trying to say we all need to be climbing a ladder corporate or otherwise, but it certainly just 
continues to uh, offer those opportunities we're looking for in our lives to feel inspired and fulfilled and empowered. Yeah, I think, and, and something you said that really resonated to me on on the on the boundary front is um, something that I've struggled with is again finding the boundary that makes sense for you. And I do think you're absolutely right. We're in this seems to be kind of in this mode of everybody needs a boundary, and you you know should or shouldn't be doing this or that. And and there's I found like rules coming at me, like people say you should do this or you shouldn't do that, and. And, you know, I'm a person that naturally is inclined to have a little extra internal anxiety. And I, I get anxious, like, I, oh, oh, gosh, I need to set that boundary because that's what I should be doing. And everybody tells me I should be doing that. And then I, I finally learned to stop and think and say, okay, if I set that boundary, how does that benefit me? And then the, I think the important question was, how does that affect those I care about around me? And sometimes that really got me to, is this a boundary that I want to probably not set in stone, but it would help me, but you know what, it might negatively affect those that I care deeply about. And so that helped me really determine uh, for myself, what are important boundaries and, and you're right, they're in sand, they're, they're not always in concrete and, um, but looking beyond, I think it's easy to get stuck in the self when you're talking about but also look beyond and say, is this boundary, how will it affect the things or the people I care about around me? And then make, make your decision from, from there. Yeah. So important that those conversations that we have with ourselves and with our trusted advisors, we should all have kind of that core group of trusted advisors. And I am very careful anymore of the word should. I should like, why should I? Who says I should? Who's they? And, you know, so every time we say the word should, or, you know, it's just those little language changes of, oh, I have to versus I get to. I get to have a podcast with Asia today, right? Like, so that's certainly a highlight of my day. But being able to, you know, really decide with intention and purpose, who are we and what are we doing? And why is it important? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, one thing came to mind. I, I had a squirrel moment while you were talking, of course, but because again, I, I know that you and I can just kind of continue talking about all things. We have a passion for the horse and you have such a passion for education, which I absolutely love. But to jump back to Pony Club a little bit, I was intrigued when you told me last time, I want to make sure that our listeners understand the power of that organization because it is rooted in education, which is really primary to me. But you said that the adult membership is currently growing greater than the youth membership with Pony Club. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, and I, I actually I actually double checked with our, our membership gal. And I'm not so sure it's growing more, but it certainly is growing. And I think people don't realize that Pony Club is open to all of, of any age. And I think that just it really comes down to Pony Club being in education. It doesn't matter whether you're youth or your 50s or 60s, your 70s. I gave a national certification to a gal who was 65 years old, jumping around training level eventing. And she just said, I want to learn this. I want to do this and I want to become a better rider. And this is the education that gets me there. So I think that is really important that, that um, the horse management and, and the mounted education um, is, is for everyone and anyone can join. I think yeah, I think that's yeah. It's so it's 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 every level and 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 any any age can do it. I do think the important part about Pony Club and and something I we had our convention in Reno just um, a few weeks ago and and I I have this passion of trying to squash the perception that there's the Pony Club way and then there's everyone else way <laughs> and. So I did this presentation. I wanted to know, like, are, are we different? Like, we shouldn't be if we're an education organization. We're not a competition organization. We should support anybody wanting to be in it, you know, do any kind of competition. So I dove into um, the instructor and training manuals of 
USDF and USEA and USHJA, Hunter Jumper Association. And, and I started comparing and contrasting, like, are these organizations really training and teaching something different? And how does it compare to our curriculum and our standards of, of proficiency in, in writer development? Um, and it was just fascinating to realize we're all the same. You know, eventing, what eventing is teaching is the same thing that Hunter Jumper Association is teaching as far as developing a writer. And it's the same thing as Pony Club. So yeah, for, for any adult or youth that wants to learn, you know, Pony Club will help that development and, and support writers participating in, in any other organization that's that's out there. Awesome. I wanted to make sure we got that out there because I know that it is an organization for everyone, but I do think not everyone knows that. And, you know, so you, it is not just for ponies and it's not just for youth. It It is... It is truly a national organization that is so rooted in education. And I love that you are such a student of leadership and education that you went to those, you know, organ those other leading organizations just to be able to say, you know, we are horse people. We are not, we, we do not need to have those judgmental labels across the party lines of breed associations and, you know, just the other associations we are horse people. Now the rest of the world can think we're crazy, but it's not that we need to, you know, we don't need to say that dressage people are crazier than inventors or crazier than hunter jumpers. You know, we're all just crazy horse people and we have so much more in common than we have differences. And that's the important part. But I, I did want to make sure we got a good shout out for Pony Club because it's such a valuable organization and it is for everyone. Yeah, it is for everyone. And I, I do firmly think, you know, this, the horse community is in a sense small. And I think we have to, I think every discipline can be better and better and better if we get rid of those division lines and, and know that we can learn something from every discipline and show jumpers, you know, at the upper level, take from great dressage lessons and dressage riders can really benefit from some small jumping lessons. I mean, it's, it's just the more we can get rid of those kind of defining boundaries between disciplines and organization, I think it's going to make every discipline and every organization better and better, really. Amen. Amen. It is not about the differences. It is truly about our passion for this industry, our passion for the horse, and continuing to grow and thrive and bring young people who have an interest along with us. There are so many careers out here. To your point, you had no idea you would spend a long and, and thriving career with Pony Club, and here you are. And so these careers are out here. Connect with us and let us help you along this journey, because it truly is, you know, one that is filled with reward and joy and all, all of those things. So Asia, as we kind of wrap up our time today, we might have to have you back again. I'm, I just feel like, okay, we have so much more to talk about, right? But I always love to also ask our guests about what is one book or podcast that you would recommend to our listeners and why? So I think you said you had an answer for this question and, and I'm anxious to hear it. I do. Um, I actually wrote some notes, but I the the one book that helped me. Well, I have two books, but I'll focus on one in in essence of time. But the Inner Game of Tennis, I think, has been a defining. Um, neither of these books have anything to do with horses, <laughs> um, but have to do with life. So the Inner Game of Tennis is by Timothy Galway. Um, it was originally written back in the seventies. He was a a tennis coach. And I found competitively, well, competitively, and I think in life in general, I was, um, the things that would get in my way is perfectionism and overthinking. And when I was, I think 21, I was living in Maine and, and working with a woman. And, and she said to me one time, Asia, you are probably the best I've, person I've seen at shooting yourself in the foot. And I thought, oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> and it really hit me, but I realized the the way I can shoot myself in the foot is overthinking and not letting myself just, you know, develop and do. And and the inner game at tennis, you know, has has 
mini messages, but really it's about in life and in sports, you have a, he calls it a person one and a person two. And your person one is the, the person that, that talks and thinks and instructs and, um, but that person one is also the part of you that can bring in self-doubt, criticism. It can um, take your attention away or your focus. It can affect all of those things. Your person two is that part of you that just is the un the subconscious. It just does things. It automatically kind of, it learns and then it, it can do it. And I read it when I started, I moved to competing um, at the preliminary level. And, and I remember a very dear um, uh, instructor of mine said to me, I asked her, why did you stop competing in eventing when you were so successful? Did something bad happen? And she said, no. Um, she said, I started thinking. And I thought, you started thinking. And she said, when you're out there and you're running cross country, particularly if you start overthinking rather than just letting your body do what you've educated it to do, you get yourself in trouble. Self-doubt comes in, you know, all of these things, criticism comes in. So the inner game of tennis is about you, truly the game you're playing is being able to control your mind and the opponent in your mind. And the opponent is that self one that gets thinking and instructing a little too much. And um, you can be most successful in anything you're doing when you find that harmony of that instructor part of you and that subconscious learning and doing part of you can really communicate and, and work together. So it was the, in, in life and in, you know, when I, and, and it helped me in giving presentations and people think I'm, I, you know, when I get up in front of a, a big room of people and I start to speak, people think, oh, she sounds so confident. And, and I go up there and my tummy hurts and, you know, all these things. And I stop and I think, and I say, Asia, shut down self one you know what to do, you know how to do this, just let, just do, just let it all start coming out. And when I can calm my mind that way and, and think of that, that self too, things just happen. And I get to the end of a talk and think, oh my God, I, I did it. Like it just happened. So inner game of tennis, it's a, it's um, probably the least thing about tennis um, applies to so much in life about just controlling that self-doubt and self-criticism part of your, your mind. I cannot wait to add that to my list. I had not heard that one before. And listeners, I promise to link it in the show notes. That's what I will try. I try to do that all, always. So I'll make sure we have a link to that in the show notes. Now you mentioned you had another book. So no, no, oh, yes, I'll keep it quick. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll keep it quick. Um, so it's called um, The Growth Mindset. Um, and it's called, it's by a lady named Carol DeWitt. Um, she also does a TED talk that's, that's, it's very short and good, but um, so it's about, again, kind of controlling that, that mindset. And, and what I found, um, she talks about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset and that, um, that fixed mindset. So I, I found with some of my students or myself, if I, you know, went out to compete or went out to do something and I, I didn't succeed, it didn't go well. And that that fixed mindset, you kind of you you see failure really as kind of this be all end all. I'm not good at it, um, and then I start avoiding it or avoiding challenges. The growth mindset, you kind of um, you develop that dedication and hard work. That whatever ability you come to the table with is not fixed. You're not good at something or not good at something. You are what you are. And with a growth mindset, you know that effort and hard work and dedication um, can lead you to any growth or anything you want to accomplish. And the other piece of her message is she has this concept called not yet. And that was very helpful to me because when I, again, I find, you know, I didn't succeed at something or, you know, I, I worked hard all winter, go out and compete my horse and it, and it didn't go well. And I would force myself to stop my mind from saying you're not successful it didn't work all of those those kind of you know stalling self-talk um, and I'd say to myself you're not there yet you're going to get there let's go back to the drawing board let's figure it out and you're not there yet and that just that little word really helped me um, 
kind of just, just keep, keep going, keep working harder, keep trying harder. Um, and if there's something I so badly wanted, I think we all struggle with, I want to compete that level. I want to do that. And you're going to run into those brick walls. You're going to run into failures time and time again. And I think we all struggle like, well, maybe I'm just not, not meant to do it. Maybe that's just not a dream that I'm meant to, to have. And, um, and I really started to turn that around with that book of not yet. I'm just not there yet. I will get there. Oh, that is so wise. And I, I actually have repeated that and I'm sitting here nodding, you know, our listeners can't see me nodding and cheering for you, but I started this business of mine one year ago and I somehow along the way got that same, you know, phrase in my head. And I kept saying, I don't know how to do this yet. And in my mind, there was like that dot, dot, dot. I don't know how to do this. And then I had to say dot, dot, dot yet. I don't know how to do this yet, right? So I I treasure that advice because it really is impactful to your own, to your point, self-confidence, your abilities, your growth, your growth. Yeah, and you just don't, you don't stop. And I, I started my students just, you know, changing, it changed me as an instructor as well. And I started seeing, you know, when they would not be successful, it, you know, some of the students, it would just crush them. Like I'm done. I can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, really changing that mindset. So those are my two books. I love it. I love it. Well, as we again, kind of finish up here, I know that there will be people that want to reach out to you. I, of course, as I mentioned early on, um, found you on LinkedIn. So I'm so appreciative and grateful to be connected to you, Asia. This has been such a blessing and and I can't wait to meet you in person one of these days. I say, whenever you come to Kentucky, make sure you let me know. And, you know, I think that now I'll just want your travel schedule to know where you are so I can come find you at one of these clinics or, or meetings, but they can find you on LinkedIn. Uh, I think you're comfortable sharing your email, which I can also put in the show notes. And then let's not forget that we can send people to Pony Club, ponyclub.org, right? Yep, ponyclub.org. Yep, or you can contact me and, and I'll help you along the way. But yep, ponyclub.org. Awesome. Any parting words for the thriving equine professional listeners today? Um, I, I did think of a piece of advice. You had asked for um, a piece of advice. And um, trying to keep it short, my piece of advice in life is pause. Find a time to pause. And I found times in my life that I get burnout or I, I look back and I think, why did I stay with that job? Or why did I stay in this position? Or why did I continue that? It didn't serve me well in that kind of negative um, look at things. And I realized the commonality is I never stopped to think and be present. So find those times in life to stop and pause, even if it's for half an hour on your couch or on your horse or sitting wherever, pause and say, is this life where I want it to be? It may be hard, but is it serving me well? Am I, am I in a happy place? And it, it really, it taught me when somebody, I went through a very hard time, um, uh, a hard, yeah, hard time in my life. And I stuck in that hard time for a long time. And people ask me, you're a smart person. You're an intelligent person. Why did you stay there? Why did you do that? And I really kind of thought, gosh, that was really dumb of me. Why, why did I do that? And I realized I never stopped to think. I never, I just did, 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 did hustle, bustle, get it done, move forward. But I never stopped to just pause, think and evaluate um, and then answers will come and, and changes or whatever you want will come, but pause, press pause. Pause. I love that. Um, sometimes I will say, practice the pause, right? When we're talking about speaking and those of us that tend to speak quickly, practice the pause. So I, I love that you take that one step further as really a life advice of pause and have a conversation with yourself. Yeah, I said it recently to a, a student of mine who um, became a veterinarian and was worried about all the all the things that plague, you know, veterinarians and the difficulties in life. And I said, it's OK, just find your time to pause so you don't let that snowball roll till you're in an unhealthy way of life. Just pause, be present and um, and think. 
Ah, perfect transition before I close today, listeners. Just a reminder that this timing is next gen equine vet med. So to your point, Asia, talking about our young people who are interested in becoming veterinarians, specifically equine veterinarians, or any roles in or around animal health supporting equine vet med. We have three programs coming up, one of them in Texas, March 23rd, Lexington, Kentucky, uh, April 6th, and West Virginia, April 20th. So listeners, if you are not familiar with NextGen Equine Vet Med, head over to my website to check it out. If you're an undergrad student, we want you there. Choose one of those three locations to come join us, and we are focused on supporting you and helping you find the clarity and the resources you need to uh, achieve that goal and move through the journey, whether you choose veterinary medicine or otherwise, please come join us. So my website, www.jodyspeakslife.com. And with that, Thrivers, we will say goodbye for today, and we will see you back here same time next week. Asia Thayer, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I, it's, it's been wonderful, and I, I really enjoyed it. What, an, what a gift to the horse community in general. So thank you for all, all that you do and provide. Awesome. Can't wait to do it again. Thriver, I hope this episode inspired and empowered you to keep growing. If so, I'd be so grateful if you hit that share button and send it to your tribe so they can thrive too. And while you're there, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so everyone can find the show. I love to know what keeps you listening, especially if I'm at the barn with you. I'll meet you back here same time next week. Cheers, Jody.